our life, not just a part of our life. That means that He's the center. And that everything then flows from Him. Everything surrounds Him. Everything in our life, including even the most important things, are in a sense subservient to Him. He, he's got to occupy first place. And when He's our life, everything then looks a little bit differently. We, we have a different perspective on things. With that, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. He says, I say this, brothers and sisters, the time is short. Those words in the original language mean that the world is but a shadow of the eternal realities. That what we are involved with here on earth, except for the Word of God and the souls of human beings, they are passing shadows. And that when we are connected to God and we make Him our life, we are then are connected to eternal realities, not passing shadows. That's why He then says, So then, those who have wives, and remember 1 Corinthians 7 was about elevating marriage, as well as singleness, as well as sexual intimacy within God's design. Elevating Asking questions. Elevating our role within the body of Christ. And yet Paul says here, So then, those of you who have wives should be as those who have none. What's he mean by that? We're going to talk about that. Those with tears like those not weeping. Those who rejoice like those not rejoicing. Those who buy like those without possessions. Those who use the world as though they were not using it to the full. For then Paul ends this very important passage with these words. For the present shape of this world is passing away. Those words speak about the fact that what is fashionable, if you will, in this present arrangement as we know it, is always changing. There's always something new. There's always a new fad. There's always something that's in. And it's always changing. We can never quite, you know, capture it here on earth. But when we're connected to God, that's why we can have stability. Because when we're connected to God, there's a reality there that supersedes and goes beyond anything that we can come in contact with here on earth. We can never maybe seem to catch up here on earth. Especially technologically, right? Every time you buy one of those eye things, they come out with another one in a couple months. <laughs> and, and it just seems like, you know... It's always changing. Just when I get this down, then they come out with something else I've got to learn. And yet, that's exactly what Paul said even 2,000 years ago. So then what's he mean 
by these very important phrases within these verses. Well, let's go back up to verse 29. For those who are married, he says, those who have wives should be as those who have none. Now, obviously, we understand that when you interpret Scripture, you've got to take other Scripture in mind. You cannot interpret any Scripture in isolation. And we've just seen that in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul elevated marriage. And Paul said, it's very important. God created it. So obviously he's not saying that if you're married, just blow off marriage and don't, don't make marriage a priority and don't make your spouse a priority. Goodness knows there's many of passages where, like in Ephesians, where Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and tells, you know, wives to love and respect their husbands. So we know that that can't be what he means. In the original language, I think what he's saying here is, enjoy your marriage, if you're married. But don't make your marriage the most important thing. Don't make marriage the end-all, be-all. Because we understand in marriage that the greatest thing we can do To better our marriage is to enhance our personal relationship with God. As I've said over the years to married couples, your marriage is only as strong as your individual commitments to Christ, if you're both Christians. And so I think that that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying, look, there there are things more important than your marriage. Uh, it'll, It'll better your marriage... But, but just like he said even to the singles in 1 Corinthians 7, don't think that getting married is going to make you happy because marriage is not the end-all, be-all. And so again, he's trying to get us to see that God supersedes it all, even the most important, closest human relationship that you and I will ever have to our spouse. God still has to come first. I think that's what he means when he says those who have wives should be as those who have none. Those with tears like those not weeping. Obviously, in other passages of Scripture, Paul tells the Thessalonians, it's okay to grieve, just don't grieve like those who have no hope. And I think here what he is simply saying is, look, do not be so overcome with grief that you act as if God doesn't have the final word in any given situation. Don't, don't be so overcome with weeping and grief and, and sorrow in whatever situation you're going through that you and I do not realize that God isn't done with that situation yet. And, and he may still bring something good out of a very terrible situation. So we've got to let God have the final word again. Bringing God into the center, bringing God into the equation, not forgetting about God. Again, we would even say this in the death of our loved ones. Why Paul says, grieve, but don't grieve as those who have no hope. You'll be reunited with them again one day. You'll see them in heaven. We'll be together forever in heaven. So let God have the final word. Those who rejoice like those not rejoicing. I think he's saying, don't get so caught up in joy that you forget the suffering and hurting around you. 
It's great to be joyful. But God wants to build into our lives, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, a love and a sensitivity and a consideration of others. And even in those times in our life where things are going maybe good for us, we cannot, we should not forget about others around us. We all know that there's always those in need around us. There's always someone who needs to be encouraged. I've never met a person yet in my 50 years of being alive on earth who came, ever came up to me and said, Jeff, don't ever have to worry about encouraging me anymore. I, I have enough encouragement to last me a lifetime. I've never met anybody like that. Everybody needs ongoing encouragement. Then Paul says, those who buy like those without possessions. I think he means by this, when you make purchases, be a wise steward. Don't spend carelessly on the world's trinkets and toys. And what you do purchase, hold loosely. Be careful that the things you possess don't end up possessing you. Again, it's okay to have things, but we are held accountable as God's children for stewardship. And what we spend our money on and what we buy. And again, even when we have things, we are to hold them loosely because God may want us to simply be a conduit, a channel of blessing to someone else in need. It's not just about hoarding it for us, but letting it flow to others. And finally, verse 31, those who use the world as though they were not using it to the full. I think he means, as other scriptures point out, enjoy life. Live life to the fullest. Take advantage of every moment. But don't indulge yourself to the point of losing focus on what really matters. God wants us to enjoy life. In fact, if anybody should enjoy life, it should be the Christian. Christ came to give us abundant life. Life on a higher plane. A higher quality of life. Eternal life, remember, is not a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. Even those who don't have Christ as their Savior will exist forever. So eternal life isn't necessarily a quantity of time. It is a higher quality of life. And we should never lose focus of that higher quality of life that God calls us to. Again, so in all of this passage, what Paul is simply saying to the Corinthians and to us is keep God at the very center of everything. Don't make him a part of your life. Make him your life. Everything. And let everything that you do, everything that you're involved with, everything just be saturated with God. Don't compartmentalize our life because our life really can't be compartmentalized. We cannot live as if, okay, here's my God compartments over here and then here are my non-God compartments. It doesn't work that way. God wants to simply allow us to keep growing so that we will surrender more of our lives over to Him. As I say often, when we become a Christian, when we get saved... 
we get all of God. God doesn't give us just a part of Him when we get saved. He gives us all of Him. But He doesn't necessarily get all of us. And so our spiritual growth and maturity is learning to, in a sense, surrender more of our lives, more of those compartments, more of those, those rooms in our life over to Him. And say, God, take complete control. And Paul is encouraging us, I think, to do that. And here's why. Go with me then to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He talks about something that we talked about several weeks ago when we studied the book of Romans on Sunday morning. He said, with regard to food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And the words we all have knowledge should be in quotations because Paul actually is quoting the Corinthians here. This is what they would say. Remember, the Corinthians were from that Greek culture, if you will, and they prided themselves on knowledge. And they basically said to Paul in the previous letter, Paul, we got this. We, we got knowledge. We know that these foods sacrifice the idols. We know that they're nothing. And Paul said, you may know that. You may have that knowledge. But Paul's saying to them and to us, there's something more important than knowledge, and that's love. Knowledge without being governed by love, Paul says, is very, very dangerous and destructive. And again, the reason I wanted to share that passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is because when we keep God at the very center of everything, then we keep our life in balance. And it's so hard to do because all of us can tend to go too far one way or too far another. And that's why I wanted to pick up then in chapter 8 because notice what he says. Yeah, we all have knowledge, but notice Paul goes on to say in verse 1, and this is very important, this convicted me. Knowledge puffs up. Literally the word puff up means to swell. We could also say to make proud, but love builds up. Love edifies. Love promotes growth. And these words in the Greek also talked about restoration and repair. Let's not miss what Paul's saying. Yes, knowledge is important. God's Word said, God said, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. So it's not that God doesn't want us to learn and have knowledge, but God is saying that my knowledge must always be governed by love because knowledge alone will just make a person proud. It will just swell them. And I think what Paul is saying is those of us who love to study the Word and love to grow, and we've got to be careful that we're not just sort of swelling, if you will, in our knowledge of God and not growing in our love for God and our love for others. Because if it's just a matter of we're just gaining facts and, and it's just this cold, uh, cold reality of, of just, you know, gaining more knowledge about God, but never really fleshing it out in, in showing Him love and showing others love, then we just become a big swelled balloon, basically, as a Christian. Love is what builds up. And the Corinthians, as we're going to see here in this passage, yeah, they had knowledge. And they prided themselves on their knowledge. But they weren't executing their knowledge with love. 
keeping love as sort of the rudder, if you will, of the ship. And then I love what Paul says in verse 2. It's a great reminder. He says, if someone thinks he knows something, and that word know there means to be intimately acquainted with something, he does not yet know to the degree that he needs to know. Paul is simply pointing out that as human beings, we may think we've got a handle on something, we still don't know it to the extent or in detail that God does. We have limitations. Again, remember, a great illustration for us to keep in mind as human beings is remember the iceberg. 10% above the water, about 90% below the water. And in all of our lives, even when we look at other people's lives, we only see the part of their life that's above the water. We don't see anything below the water. Only God has that kind of insight. Even in situations, we may think we know the situation. You know, either we've said it or we've heard other people say it. You know, through my life experience or through what I've done, I got a hand. I know this really well. Oh, really? You sure you know every facet of that situation? Were you, you know, there every step of the way? Do, do you know conversations that, you know, no, we don't. We are limited. And that's why Paul's saying we should never just allow knowledge alone to govern us in our actions. We've got to bring love along every step of the way. And that's why in verse 3 he says, but if someone loves God, he's known by God. Notice he doesn't say he knows God, he says he's known by God. I think what Paul is simply saying is, even with our relationship with God, it's not about just knowing God and filling our minds with facts about God. With God, it's about a loving relationship. God didn't save us or create us to know Him, but to love Him. The greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God created us and saved us to love Him. And, and too often, even as Christians, I think we go through the motions of what we know we're supposed to do as Christians, but we're not really being energized by love. This is why Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation, you have left your first love. There's a lot of ministry going on at the church of Ephesus. There's a lot of spiritual activity, quote unquote, but you don't love me. And I want that more than anything. God just wants us to fall in love with Him. I don't know about you, but that can be quite convicting. Because, yeah, God doesn't want it to be all about emotion and, and feeling and passion, but yet, that is a part of it. God doesn't want us to just walk around with knowledge about what to do and what he, he wants us to act out of love. And let's face it, if, if, if we all lived every moment of our life out of love for God, 
That would solve what we do and what we don't do because we would just be loving God and not having to worry about all the other. It would take care of itself. That's true in earthly relationships too, by the way. If love is our guiding factor, then a lot of what we do to hurt those that we love, we obviously wouldn't do. And the things that we know that we should do to those that we say we love around us, we we would do it because it's love. May we never at the Oasis lose our first love. May we at the Oasis, even though, yes, we want to be a church that studies the Word and grows in our knowledge of God, but may it always lead to a deeper love for God. And then Paul says, those who love God have to remember that they are known by God. In other words, again, Paul's saying to the Corinthians and to us, it's not so much about what you know, but who knows you? That's what should thrill our hearts. Because there's always more that we could know. But to come to the realization that God knows me. And the word know there in verse 3 means completely understand. God completely understands us. And then think about this now. Tying it back to love. God knows everything. Everything about us, and guess what? Still loves us. (laughs) Wow. I hope this makes sense, and this is clear, because I shared this with my wife this morning, and I was like, I didn't know whether I was coming across clearly or not. I don't always share my messages ahead of time with Lisa, but it just so happened that we were sharing a cup of coffee on the back porch, and I threw this out. And I was like, God, help me to say this clearly because I want to capture your mind on this. God wants our knowledge to be born out of our love, not the other way around. He doesn't want our love to be born out of knowledge. For instance, like in human relationships, sometimes the more we know about somebody, the less we like them. Forget love. You know, and God is saying, no, I want you to grow in your knowledge of me and and I want you to grow in your knowledge of each other. But I want that to be fueled by your love. In fact, let me go back to spouses, people who are married just for a moment. Peter says to spouses that we should dwell with our spouses according to knowledge. But again, that knowledge of knowing the strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes and all that of my spouse or even a good friend should be born out of my love for them. See, not the other way around. I hope that makes sense. It it does to me, but then I realize I'm warped, so we'll see. So then he goes to this. He says then, verse 4, with regard then to eating food sacrificed to idols, which is really what this whole chapter is about. 
He says, we know that an idol in this world is nothing. I, I get that, Paul says. I, I realize that you Corinthians are like, look, I know, the idol is just an idol. It, it's not anything. And that there is no God but one. If after all there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, for there are many gods, many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we live. And, and notice this, this is not the most important thing that I want to touch on, but I think it's a very important point that we might pass over here tonight, that in the context, notice that Paul puts Jesus Christ equal with God here. And one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. See, notice too that we really live only through Jesus Christ. I mean, we can physically exist and we can breathe and our heart can beat, but that's all because of Christ too. But we really live only through Christ. Paul says, I get that, guys. But notice what he says in verse 7. But this knowledge is not shared by all. In other words, everybody's not on the same page with this. Therefore, by being accustomed to idols in former times, which some are, and the word accustomed here means habitual and intimate use of. In other words, Paul is pointing out that there are some in the church at Corinth who have a steeped background in going into idol temples and worshiping idols and he says you've got to take that into consideration as you interact with these believers until they grow maybe to a point where this whole eating meat to idols and going into idol temples and stuff doesn't bother them like it does you take that into consideration live in love not just by knowledge Maybe to you, you understand the idols nothing. You understand the meat sacrifice to idols is nothing. And again, I realize in our you know, modern church, that doesn't translate. But we can apply other things there. To you as a Christian, you, you may have knowledge that this is okay, that's okay. But Paul is simply saying, but make sure that you take your fellow Christians into account because their background in certain things... It may just bother them more than it does you. And so that's why he says, Some, by being accustomed to idols in former times, eat this food as an idol sacrifice. And their conscience, because it is weak, is defiled. The word defiled there, the root word of that in the Greek language literally is black. It means to be stained. It means it really bothers them. Because when they were idol worshipers, before they became Jesus worshipers, I'm sure they experienced and saw and, and just did a lot of evil things that still bother their conscience. And so any association at all just really bothers them. And Paul is simply saying to the Corinthians, then take that into consideration. Don't just sort of push them to the side and say, well, I know I've got the right to do this, or I know it doesn't bother me, so it shouldn't bother them either. Paul's saying, no, no, no. That's not living by love. That's not keeping God at the center of everything. That's putting you and me at the center of everything. And so that's why Paul says, look, back to verse 8, I know... <laughs> I know that no food will bring us closer to God. 
That's one verse that, you know, Sunday I felt pretty close to God when I was eating that chicken and ribs and no. But, but Paul is simply saying, look, nothing external, I understand, is going to bring us closer to God, literally nearer into fellowship with God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. But notice, but be careful. Take a closer, more thoughtful look that this liberty that God gives us, and the word liberty basically means the power to choose. And that is an unbelievable power that God gives us. He gives us choice. And that's a great privilege that God gives us, but it's also a great responsibility. Because Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, that power that God puts within our hands to choose different things day in, day out, is an unbelievable privilege, but it's also a responsibility because we've got to take into consideration how our choices will not only affect us, but how they will affect others. Which is why he then says, be careful that this liberty of yours does not become a hindrance to the weak. The word hindrance simply means an obstacle. Something put in their path that they're going to trip and fall over. A temptation to maybe sin. And and remember back, if you remember our study in Romans, that when Paul's talking about here is, is us doing something or even approaching another Christian and encouraging them to violate their own conscience. We should never do that. We may have differences of opinion on our liberty and what we feel we have liberty to do and not to do, but we should never impose our personal convictions on any other Christian. And we should never impose what our conscience doesn't give us a problem with on somebody else because their conscience may give them a problem about it for now. I mean, Paul always holds out hope that through spiritual growth and through spiritual maturity that these people will grow to the point where maybe that won't bother them anymore. But at this point, Paul says, you better consider your fellow brother or sister in Christ because that's living by love. For he says, if someone weak sees you who possess knowledge, Knowledge, yeah, it's okay to eat meat, sacrifice. It's okay to go to an idol temple and eat. Dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience be strengthened, literally provide a foundation to eat food offered to idols? And Paul then goes on to say, so by your knowledge, the weak brother or sister for whom Christ died, Wow, that puts a value on it, doesn't doesn't it? Is destroyed. Literally, pushed out of the way, passed by, is what the word destroyed means. I'm going to do what I want to do because I've got the right and liberty to do it, and I don't care how it affects you. Paul said, we as Christians should never, never, never live that way. In community with each other. God wants to build a community of believers that's filled with sensitivity and love to each other. I'll say this. I think the Oasis is filled with 
a bunch of people who are very loving and sensitive to one another. I just want to see it keep on going. You wouldn't believe the stories that I hear of the love and sensitivity that is exhibited. And I realize we're not perfect. We're not always loving and sensitive to each other. No, no, no church is perfect. But I also don't feel like, you know, we should rest on our laurels and that we should sit back like the Corinthians and be pride, prideful about it. We've got a ways to go. We can always be more loving and more sensitive to each other. But I do want you to hear from your pastor, I believe we have a loving, sensitive group of people here. And I love the fact that that creates an environment then for anyone who does come in, they're going to go, well, this is sort of the, this is the way they do it. You know, this, is, this groundwork has already been laid. This is, this is what they expect. That if, if we become a part of this fellowship, we need to grow in our knowledge because that's why we study the Word, but it better also lead to a life of love and sensitivity to each other. Because then he goes on to say, verse 12, if you sin against your brothers or sisters in this way and wound or literally disquiet is what the word wound means. You, you upset their conscience. You sin against Christ. Wow, that's a, that's a big statement. When you sin against your brother or sister in this way, from Christ's perspective, you sin against me. That's how, again, Christ identifies himself with his own people. And when we as Christians wound and hurt and tear down each other, Christ says, You've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Verse 13, Paul ends then by saying, For this reason, if food causes my brother or sister to sin, then I will absolutely, is what the word really means, I will absolutely never eat idle meat again. Paul's saying, for me, if it's between the welfare, the spiritual welfare of my brother or sister in Christ or me, I know I have the liberty to eat idle meat. Idle meat doesn't mean anything. It doesn't hurt me. It's just meat. But Paul said, I willingly will give that up for the rest of my life if it means benefiting my brother or sister in Christ. Because as Paul said earlier in chapter 7, there are some things more important. That we should govern our lives, not just with the here and now and with the immediate things that might gratify me, but what's best for eternity. For instance, one of the things that every once in a while, I don't always do it, I wish I did, but one of the things that God has at least got me in a little bit of a habit of doing is, especially in, in certain decisions, I ask myself the question, a thousand years from now, a million years from now, will this matter or will that matter more? Will I be, be happier by making this decision that, Ten million years from now, when I'm in heaven with the Lord, I was glad I made that decision over this decision. 
And we all know of examples in the Bible where the Bible is sharing us these illustrations, I think, to get us to see how short-sighted we can be. Think of the example of Esau in the Bible who sold his birthright for a pot of stew, who didn't make a choice based upon eternity, but made it just for the here and now. And yet you turn it right around, then you have the temptation of Jesus where Satan is saying, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, no thanks, because they're not going to last anyway. I got an eternal kingdom. And showed us by example that God wants us to learn to bypass what Satan will put right out there for our immediate gratification, but yet it's not for our eternal or other people's eternal benefit. And that's why Paul said, really? Are you going to force idle meat just because you know that you have the liberty to be able to do it and you could care less about your brothers or sisters in Christ? He said, wouldn't it be better to never eat idle meat ever again and know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are strengthened rather than destroyed? So that, Paul says, I may not cause one of them to sin. The word cause here in both 13, there's two uses of the word cause. It's a very interesting word. It, it's the Greek word scandalon. It literally means a trigger on a trap. In other words, in Paul's day, whenever hunters would go out, they would put a trigger on a trap so that the animal would... would you know, go up to it and then that trigger and then they would be caught in the trap. And Paul says, I never want to live my life, especially in relation to other Christians, where in a sense I'm setting a trap around them where all they have to do is trigger it and they get caught by it. Paul said, no, I want to live my life going back up to verse 1, building people up. Helping them to grow helping them to be restored and repaired and edified. Knowledge is important. But Paul says knowledge must always be governed by love. The two main things from tonight's message that I believe God wants us all to just keep in our mind. Is from chapter 7, keep God at the very center of everything that we do. He, he isn't to be a part of my life. He is to be my life. And therefore, I must live my life with that in mind. Affects everything. I look at life and everything and every relationship differently. And then secondly, God wants me to live a life of love. That even as I'm gaining knowledge of Him through His Word, it shouldn't lead to just me swelling up and blowing up with more knowledge. It should lead to a selfless, sacrificial, pushing self-aside life of love. Like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. What a challenge. But again, folks, I want to end with this. I hear it from others who come and, and visit that they sense such a spirit of unity 
and harmony right now. And they, they sense the love. And even like at the potluck on Sunday, people who came from other churches and stuff who were here visiting, they commented to me how, wow, your people just really love each other and, and get along and want to hang out together. And I just want to share that with you so that we'll just keep on doing what, what we're doing and, and continue to grow in that. Because that's what makes the impact. Jesus said, by this kind of love shall all men know that you are my disciples. God wants this church to be built, just like every church, on that kind of love for him and then that kind of love for each other. Thank you guys for loving me. I truly feel your love. I hope that you know how much I love and appreciate you guys too. It's great to be your pastor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. For loving us, Lord, even though you know everything about us. Everything. What love. And God, I just pray that as Christians who truly desire to grow, that our spiritual growth wouldn't end up just being an accumulation of facts and Bible verses and knowledge, but that, God, it would lead to just falling more in love with you. To truly love you. God, that's what we even want our worship to be here. It's just an overflow of love, an expression of love to you. I know that's what Nicole's heart is for our worship here. So God, I just pray that we would just love You more every day. And out of loving You more, God, I think that that will enable us to love each other more. To see each other the way You see them and the way You see us. And that, God, that we might truly, as we even talked about Sunday from Romans 16, truly value and appreciate and, and see each other as so precious to one another. God, thank you for the folks that you've already brought to the Oasis, the folks that you continue to draw here, and the folks that in the future you will continue, and the families and individuals that you will continue to draw to this place. Help us always to be a church of love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll see you Sunday.